everybody, welcome to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris. Thanks for tuning in, however you found the show, whether it's on iTunes, Google Search, Revelations Radio Network, Revere Radio Network, the Black Vault Radio Network. I'm super happy that you found it, and um, I'm glad that you're here for Nowhere to Run 2.0, which is an exciting transition where content is trying to be a little more um, entertaining and enlightening. And there are no sound effects. I decided that we're just not going to do sound effects. Even though Nowhere to Run 2.0 it sounded like a great idea. We could do little transitions and sound effects. But then it was like, I think that just cheapens, really, the idea that content is king at this show. Or it could be that it just takes too long. And I really don't want to do that. So, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the interview last week. We had Doug Perry on. A lot of people said, hey, awesome. That was a great interview with Doug Perry. Had a few uh, few emails that were like, hey, uh, that was Chris. I love you, but it sounds like you're going down this crazy sort of road, and I really don't you know, know about it. And to that I would say, well, I've been listening to Doug Perry for uh, years now, so... I guess I probably would have already been on that road in that I really think uh, that he's a really great guy. And uh, um, I think that what he says is accurate. And I think it's, what he says is biblical. I know that there's some stuff out there. If you Google his name, I'm sure he's got a lot of uh, anti-stuff about him. I would suggest to you that the more that you're doing for the Lord, the more anti-you websites there will be out there. Um but he does answer those critics on his website. And to me, that is the critique that I would have of Doug Perry is that I feel like he answers his critics uh, too much because, um, you know, like on YouTube and stuff like that, he, the people that would say stuff that uh, he would like explain the situation and try really hard to get everybody to say, you know, this person is lying and all these things. And when somebody said that they were a cult, uh, they, he got somebody to come in there and like give him a clean bill of health and say that they weren't a cult. And, you know, uh, to me, I guess I just would let it go, you know, with my critics, I guess, but that's different because I don't really, I don't, I'm not really, you know, doing the same stuff he is. I'm not running a homeless shelter. And I guess that, that would make a difference if I was actually sort of in the public, I guess I would want to sort of answer my critics a little bit better. So maybe that's a, a mute criticism, but nevertheless, uh, that's that the, Second thing I want to talk about is another interview that I'm going to be having pretty shortly. And this is with uh, a guy named Richard Bennett. Richard Bennett is a former uh, a former priest uh, at, of the Catholic Church. And he has spent, since like 1992 or something like that, has been an evangelist <clears throat> for uh, and, and a, an apologist for you know, um, showing the errors in a Catholic church in an extremely loving way. This person, uh, is somebody who their heart breaks for his heart breaks for, uh, Catholics. And it, you can tell in every one of his, um, presentations, he's got a ton of video. I, I don't know how long he's been doing this or how much, but this man is a machine as far as producing, uh, content. He has so much video, so much audio out there. And um, I have learned over the last few weeks so much about the Catholic Church. I felt like, uh, I mean, I've just ingested, I don't know, I would say, gosh, I would say almost 100 hours of material just in, in, about the Catholic Church. And I didn't really know enough about it before. In fact, sort of my, uh, I've been trying to get the this Catholic 
tracked done for a long time, the video track done. And it was just so daunting that I just, I almost, because I didn't know enough about it and I knew it was sort of like this very, very difficult thing uh, because there was so much material to cover and there was so much I didn't know or understand. So for a long time, I mean, my whole ap apologetic career, I've sort of been avoiding the issue. Uh, and so I just, just decided to stop avoiding the issue. And that's when I found Richard Bennett's work. And so I have just been um, parking there and just soaking it all in. And so we've been going back and forth and talking about uh, this interview and working it out. And so that should be done here pretty soon. And I think that I'm going to turn these interviews into a uh, video. But ultimately, the goal is is to uh, create a, a probably I'm, I'm going to look at it as like my best thing ever. You know, I'm going to really spend as much time as I can on it. And try to do a uh, probably end up being like two hour uh, Catholicism debunked, and I'm just trying to make it be like the best thing I've ever done. But that is an extremely hard thing to do because it is really uh, a monumental, a monumental uh, thing. What's interesting about it too, from my perspective of like you know having uh, you know refuted a lot of other really good lies from Satan, you know, like. You know, a lot of new age stuff, no matter if it's who it, whoever it is, it is like nothing compared to the sheer genius of the lies of the Catholic Church. They've like had hundreds and hundreds of years to perfect this story. I mean, that's what it seems like as I'm going through it is that they have it's like no one has had this much time to get their story straight. It's it's brilliant. But it is also incredibly uh, false, and there. And so I hope the first one uh, that we're going to be doing, the first interview, is going to really bring out a lot of that. Um, but I am excited about Mr. Bennett being on, and I'm excited about this project. Well, it's kind of a shame. Like once I decided, okay, I'm going to really start doing nowhere to run. You know, is going to just change, and everything that I do, the you know, the missionary stuff that I do, I'm just going to like go full force, and then. As soon as I started to do that, the two projects that I've done since then have been like just totally consuming. So it doesn't really seem like I'm producing a lot of content. But uh, I, what I usually do, and maybe this will help somebody else that's out there that uh, wants to, I don't know, just the process I use for um, learning about stuff and, and debunking stuff or whatever. The main thing is, is that I'll do is I will just spend a lot of time at first not a lot of pressure, just learning about it, trying to soak it in until I feel like I understand what's going on and I understand uh, where, you know, uh, get a picture of where the problems are and things like that. And usually I'll be copying and pasting notes and stuff like that. And then usually the notes will just be in a loose outline at that point, like one topic and then several notes that I'll be finding and intersperse them underneath there and eventually sort of piece that together in a script. But anyway, the, what, I say that to say that this process with um, the Catholic Church thing has been, that process of soaking in the information has not stopped yet. And like I said, I've probably logged about 100 hours of material. What I decided to do was to first, because I didn't find a lot of information about this at first, and so I was going to... Catholic apologist websites and Catholic apologist uh, podcasts. And I thought that that was a great way to sort of understand their 
viewpoint because this is because if you're listening to them, you're listening to them say, you know, those <clears throat> these Protestants don't know anything. They think so and so and so and so. It's interesting the mentality and the views that I, few that I have listened to, and it, it's it's taught me a lot about myself and a lot about things that I shouldn't do. And it's also as everything that this is done like this, whether it be this or whatever the sacred name movement thing or anything before that, the the people that listen to Michael Tassarian or Jordan Maxwell or, or Greg Braden or, you know, whatever. Um, I develop kind of a uh, compassion for them because you see why um, they got deceived and you know where they're coming from and you feel bad. And really the, the uh, only anger that you can have for anybody in these situations is Satan because he is just brilliant at the way that he plays to a person's paradigm uh, to get them to do the same basic stuff no matter what it is that uh, that they are doing so anyway look for the Richard Bennett interview and subsequent videos that should be coming up pretty soon so I suppose we'll do a few more announcements I guess this is in the announcement section here um, testimonies I put up a just a post on the website um, just called testimonies I thought it might be a good place to, what I was going to do is ask everybody to uh, send me your testimonies. They don't have to be long testimonies. They don't have to be testimonies about anything in particular. They don't have to be profound. Just just something real. Just, uh, you know, kind of whatever. If it's long, let it be long. But the way I, the way I put it is in the comment the comments of that article so you can do it on your own time and I don't have to post it up there. So it's just a free... Um, uh, free for all kind of thing. So if you go to my website, nowhere2runradio.com, I think you have to log in or you know do whatever it asks you to do. Log in, you know, name, email, or something like that, and then uh, you can comment on there. I might turn that off though, so you don't have to do the login. But anyway, so that would be cool, I think, um, because I do. Somebody just emailed me about um, their testimony, and they felt like uh, that the Lord was saying to not not talk about their testimony anymore and it sounded like a pretty profound one and anyway i i told them that if they wrote it down or even did a audio thing with it um then i would uh, post it on the website but then i was thinking that if if you or anybody out there did audio testimonies about something whatever it was you know it doesn't have to be necessarily your salvation experience although that's te- technically what a testimony is uh or, or what all the stuff leads up to it in your life and everything but um, I thought that if you did audio, then I could do a podcast about it. You know, just Christian testimonies, podcasts, something. I don't know. Uh, I could actually, in the meantime, just post them at um, at the Full Armor of God podcast, which is sort of what I've been posting sermons on and stuff like that. Sort of this uh, auxiliary podcast that uh, for stuff that's not necessarily any original uh, content or whatnot. Okay, moving on, I think that I want to recommend a few books. Uh, keep in mind, I have been going to premarital counseling and, you know, all kinds of marriage stuff, getting married in, uh, well, August 29th, so that's like, oh my gosh, like, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. You know, it's weird how, like, you spend six months being like, oh yeah, get married, get married, get married, yeah, get married, get married, and then, like, you got like a month left, and you're like, I get, I'm getting married in a month. Like, oh my God, we're actually going to get married? 
I didn't know we were going to get married. I thought we were just going to like say that we were going to get married. No, but anyway, we, we have been uh, reading a lot of books, and I actually find it to be fascinating, um, this idea of sort of, I mean, marriage being kind of like, you know, um, a hobby, a job, a thing that you do, a, a thing that you learn about, a thing that you put a lot of effort into, and... Um, I'm really glad that we're not doing anything really special for a wedding. I mean, we're just going to, it's just me and her on the beach or whatever. Uh, but because I think that I would put too much thought right now into weddings when we've been putting so much thought into marriage and stuff like that. But there was a few books that were recommended by the counselor. And I got to say, some of them were really good. And I think that some of them, I think some of them would absolutely revolutionize uh, some marriages out there. I know, and the two that I would mention are are ones that I think would definitely do that. If your marriage is in trouble or whatever out there, check these books out. One of them is called Love and Respect. And I don't know who it's by, but it's by somebody. And, w and what I would recommend doing is, I mean, well, I mean, if you're a reader, then you can get that one at like any bookstore. It's like super, super famous. So um, Love and Respect is fascinating. I think that uh, it's good to get it on audio just because, but that's what I do. I mean, I listen to audio all the time. So, um, so I, I would recommend that there's a few really cool audio sites out there. There's christianbook.com and christianaudio.com, which is good because you don't have to go through like audible or iTunes because it's so hard to get those things on your MP3 player or whatever. If you, you know, all the license restrictions and stuff. So it's good to just download regular MP3s for really cheap. So that one, again, is called Love and Respect. Basically, it's that uh, men are seeking respect and women are seeking love, and without it, they go on this crazy cycle. And I know that's really, really simplistic, but um, if you read this book, it will make sense to you. Uh, and something about it will make sense. It's just extremely true. There's another one that is also really famous that I would recommend for marriage stuff is uh, the five love languages by somebody that I again don't know, but um, gosh, I almost know his name. But anyway, that one is really helpful too. I find I find that that one has been something that I think about a lot because um, you know I know that my fiance, for example, she one of those I guess the one that her love language would be. Uh, service you know stuff acts of service things that you know functionally that you do or um you know you know acts of service and i i find that it has really changed the way that um i sort of really show her affection you know or i mean obviously lots of different ways too but i know that primarily that really lets her know that i love her uh, whereas for me, it would be something uh, totally different, maybe affirming words or something like that. So that's that's something that it doesn't always work for everybody. You know, it's like, well, I told my wife, you know, that I loved her and that she looked pretty today. And, you know, that might be great. And, it, and of course, it's necessary and good. But um, if that person really doesn't really get that you love them so much for that, uh, but really feels that you love them when you're either doing one of the other things. I think that's where, uh, I just really think that's a great book. The other thing that, uh, read recently, and I played this, one of his sermons on the full armor of God podcast, which is Randy Alcorn. And 
I found Randy Alcorn. You know, it's actually kind of interesting how this kind of happened. And I mentioned this not too long ago, but I, I was um, because it, it concerns Doug Perry as well. Uh, I I was uh, praying. Well, I'd just been getting really uh, worked over by the Bible and and the stuff that Jesus was saying about money and stuff. I was like, man, this doesn't seem like anything that I'm reading, or not ra- rather, it doesn't seem like anything that anybody is saying or that you know there's a lot of counsel on. You know, it doesn't really seem like if I asked a majority of you know my Christian friends, they would all be like, oh no, don't do that. You know, but that's what he was saying. I kept reading. I was like, man, this whole, it seems like every other word out of his mouth has something to do with that. And, uh, I was really feeling in, uh, convicted about it. And so I went and prayed, uh, with my roommate. We just prayed and, and he asked like, Lord, if there's, could you just show it to him? Like, just lay it, lay it on him, you know? And, uh, something just, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but something like that where it would be pretty noticeable. And so I wasn't really even thinking about it, but I went back to my computer and I sat down, and um, my, uh, if you know YouTube, your subscription things come up. I don't really even subscribe to all that many people. I just haven't really, uh, I just don't don't really use the subscription thing. But I have, one of my subscriptions is uh, Doug Perry. And he had just put up a video, and I didn't even know what it was. I just like, okay, whatever, I'll click it. And it happened to be one where he's talking about um, exactly the same thing that I was talking about. The whole different sort of view of money that is in the Bible that is going on. And so that was a really big, like, thing. Like, this is supposed to be, you know, this is, I'm on the right track here somewhere. And at this time, again, I was pretty stressed out about it. So at that point, at that same sitting is where I typed into YouTube something like, I typed in two words, Jesus and money. And I found Randy Alcorn, a talk that he had been, he had done somewhere. And this is the first I've ever heard of him, I, although I know that he's done many different uh, uh, books. He's a pr- very prolific writer. Speaking of, all his books that he gives, he gives away 100% of all the profits of. His story is pretty interesting. Um, but he gives away, you know, millions and millions of dollars to uh, charity or whatever uh, whatever it ends up being. But I don't, it's not really about how much money you give away to charity. Don't, don't get me wrong or whatever, but that's sort of his story. Anyway, one of his books is called Money, Possessions, and Eternity, and one of them is called um, one of them is called uh, the Treasury Principle, and I think that's part of what I played, or at least a talk that he had done after writing the Treasury Principle. So, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, and the Treasury Principle. I think that Money, Possessions, and Eternity would be a really good one to to check out for, and that's also stuff that's really cheaply available online in audio format too, which is sort of instant gratification if you're like me and a child of the 21st century. Um, okay. Okay, all right. So we are transitioning. The This is the sound effect, the shaking of the notes. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about... Well, here, I'm just going to rant a little bit on something, and it sort of has to do with books which is, I went to a bookstore the other day. It was, I don't even know, Barnes & Noble, I think. And I was killing some time, and I was just walking through the whole the whole bookstore, just looking at everything. And, and I mean, I, the thing that struck me about it is that when I was leaving, it really hit me, is that everything I looked at was like a lie. Like, every section 
was like a, a take on the truth. And and this obviously I'm presupposing that like I know the truth or whatever, but I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm just saying that what I do know about certain things, I know that they're that's not the real reality. Uh, even like the Christian section or whatever, it was like, this isn't even like what this is supposed to be. And I know you've had that experience when you go to like a Barnes and Noble Christian section. You're like, what is going on here? This is like crazy town or something. Um, but everything was like that. Obviously, the politics section is like, this is not even reality. This is like something other than reality. The children's books were like, this isn't even what what's going on here. The young adult books don't even get me started on that. I don't even what it's like Aleister Crowley's, you know, whatever. No, not really, but they sure they got it there. But you know, of course, the New Age section and stuff like that. The um, the only thing it really wasn't was like the language section and the you know hard sciences. Like, or not even sciences. Like they probably are skewed too. But like mathematics or whatever, you can't. It's hard to hard to skew reality in regards to mathematics or stuff like that. But I just it hit me that most of reality is like not not real in a lot of ways, as far as culture and everything. And I know that we sort of are aware of that being you know awake to a lot of the things that are going on in the world or whatever. But I guess I just never realized how every sector of society was sort of proposing this false version of reality. And that the false version of reality was really focused on either, you know, debauchery or self-love or um, just distraction or misdirection or just everything in the world it could do to keep you away from the truth of Christ. I mean, even the Christian stuff was like trying to do that. Again, it was just it was just an eye op uh, opener to see how tough it is to remain or, or to to find the truth and to remain diligent in it. I guess because uh, there are so many different distractions, at least in America at the present time. So, anyway, let's move on to the two sections: news and emails. Okay, this email is kind of concerning sleep paralysis and a part of it that I haven't mentioned other places, so I want to go ahead and, and mention it now in case anybody out there is experiencing the same thing and sort of wondering about it themselves. So uh, this person was raised Christian, he says here, um, had a bad experience at church and said as he quit going after that, he says, um, but I was still a good person at heart. After that, I lived the average sex, drugs, and rock and roll teenage lifestyle but I then saved uh, myself shortly after talking to a preacher at a gas station. I went to rehab, got into college, got in shape uh, almost immediately after. Three years ago, I'm 22 now. I never really stayed in touch with God spiritually, but did notice the change for good that you talk about in your Guide for New Christians video. About four days ago, I just started to um, I started trying to strengthen my relationship with God, and it was going good. Last night, however, I woke to a whispering voice and sh a shadowy figures shadowy figures in the room, um, and I got an unexplainable tingling or numbing sensation. I couldn't move and blacked out from fear. The presence of evil was very, very strong. I also believe I suffered some oppression about a year ago. I have never watched anything on sleep paralysis, but I remember that you had videos on the topic. I 
watched them this morning before work and realized that the door may have been opened uh, with my obsessive study of UFOs, conspiracies, and the paranormal with a buddy of mine, or the fact that my uncle was a ranking member of the Shriners, or the fact that I watched the DVD tracks five-hour video on, on hell the previous day. I woke up this morning and was outraged at what uh, had happened. I felt unusually angry and told whatever force that was present to bring it on. I know that wasn't smart, but I don't feel like I said it on my own. Either way, I'm having a hard time getting to the roots of why it happened. Uh, I have been clearing up things, things up with God, and things went well for two days. Then, bam, demonic activity. I started to think that uh, I may not know Jesus or the Bible well enough to walk as closely as I can with him. Anyway, I just wanted to strengthen my relationship with God and don't really fear whatever's present last night. I, I know in my heart it will be okay. I just thought that you might be able to offer some advice on the subject or get me closer to God plus the, present, uh, plus the presence last night. Uh, trying to figure out what about the presence, apparently. Remember, uh, whenever you can, I promise I'm not going to hit you with long questions. Okay. Um, okay. Let me first say that with sleep paralysis stuff, it's sometimes it's hard with just one email to find the exact cause for it. So take what I say with a grain of salt, but I'll just sort of give you my uh, opinion on this. And I've already answered this, uh, this individual in detail, but I, again, I'm doing this because I think that it might help somebody else. The... I think that probably the doors were already opened. Maybe it was in the earlier lifestyle, sex, drugs, rock and roll lifestyle. Maybe it was the obsessive research of the stuff like that. That certainly uh, has been open doorways for other people. So it's hard to say what it was, but um, they were open one way or another. And um, they can be closed all the same way, basically. So, But, so, but what I, I want to mention here is that I think that the reason why it happened is because of your trying to strengthen your relationship with God and that they're kind of trying to punk you out, I guess you could say. And it's dangerous for them is what I'll try to explain here in a minute. But this is also something that a recent email from another individual who is a, a very good friend who has a former lifestyle kind of like this too, probably a little bit more in the occult kind of things. And this individual, this other individual, uh, is now just really on fire for the Lord and is just really a great guy and a great Christian. But every time he tries to witness to this one particular friend who is really spiritually, you know, in trouble and, and oppressed by uh, evil entities in their own right, whenever he tries to speak to that person about about this stuff, this, the same night he tries to do that, he has very intense demonic uh, attack, and these are go beyond the scope of sleep paralysis. They're pretty pretty heavy stuff. But I'm again really fascinated by this particular person's resolve in it, uh, much like yours also is sort of bold in, in your resolve against it, but. I would also submit that uh, my roommate Mike Tater, who now uh, does all the sleep paralysis stuff for StopSleepParalysis.org, he gets a lot more sleep paralysis stuff than I do nowadays, and he uh, has mentioned that he sees a lot of this too. When people start to rededicate themselves or to dedicate themselves for the first time or, or, or doing something for the Lord, they kind of try to get punked out. <laughs> if That's just one way to put it, I guess. But um, I, would, I would say this is, as the thing. To do for anybody out there listening what i would say is that first of all you should pray about the doors being closed whatever they were you know um if they were it's like a lot of times you're not going to know exactly what it was some of you know exactly what it was 
that may be the door that has been opened in your past or whatever. Maybe it was, if you see that video, the stop sleep paralysis thing, it could be a number of things. But the it's, it all goes away the same time, same way, which is by praying, asking the Lord to close them for you, to repent for the things that you uh, know. Like uh, Doug Perry was saying last, uh, you know, the last show, he just asked the Lord, you know, for 30 minutes to show him stuff that he needed to repent for. He's like, that's a prayer that the Lord will answer. You know, just, just ask for him to show you the stuff that you need to, you know, repent for. And repent means turning away from and going another direction. It's a change of mind. So, you know, turn away from the things that you repent for and close those doors. Don't leave them open. If it's something that you're doing and dabbling in, it doesn't have to be the occult. It could be something else. If you think it's the door, clo- close it. God rewards the diligent in that, st- in that stuff. So that's part of it. If it's generational stuff, ask for, uh, just renounce it forgive that's man i can't tell you how many open doorways are because of non-forgiveness and and anger and i know that anger is genuine and it's well deserved for whoever did it but that that doesn't matter that's not your job your job is to forgive your job is to love uh there's so much stuff in the bible about that and everything in the bible is trying to help us to understand the power of forgiveness and the chemical or spiritual reaction that it has. So uh, maybe it's that, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just close the doors and pray about it, you know, continually. That can be sort of a side job. It doesn't have to be done to do the rest of what you need to do. But that's the that's the thing that you try to should make a, a prayer a night about, trying to close those doors. Secondly, you need to go on the offensive. You need to make uh, those demons be so scared of you, get a name for yourself in, in hell, and one of the ways that you do that is by being bold in your authority that Christ has given us all. Uh, in the Greek, the word is Nike. That is a decisive victory over the spirits. He says the spirits are subject unto us uh, in the authority of Christ Jesus. So let, so what I'm saying to you is that we have been given uh, power over all snakes and scorpions. That nothing shall by any means harm us. Uh, they're just hoping we don't know about it they're hoping that we don't use it they're hoping we're not bold now, i know that sometimes they they can do stuff like you know cloud your mind and make sure that you can't move your mouth or stuff like that it's just an indication of how scared they are of you now here's what's going to happen they don't want to to show up to somebody that knows about that stuff uh, unless they're getting sent or, or whatever they're sort of on a military kind of system too they have to follow orders but not like, I guess what I'm saying is if you start doing stuff like uh, casting them to the abyss, in the name of Jesus, go to the abyss. You know, with the authority of Christ, uh, I command you to go to the abyss. If, you know, these kinds of things, then, you know, they're they're going to think twice because that's kind of game over for them. And, you know, they're not going to be sending the the big guys anymore, you know, because they have too much to lose. I would say everybody out there to uh just start making that uh making that something that you're okay and feel okay about doing and uh really getting comfortable with it sort of having it be second nature you know if if and this is the thing i would really highly recommend doing taking ephesians 6 out there you know uh the 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 chapter uh, starts about midway through that starts talking about for you know, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, with but with principalities and with powers of 
Uh, I never get that verse right. Someday I'm going to memorize that thing. But it, it, it goes on from there, talking about the full armor of God and what each, you know, part is. And it really goes on after that about prayer and this heavy artillery in the armor of God is prayer. And you just start to get more bold, you know, emboldened. And, um, you know, sometimes I would also suggest this. This, this happened to me the other day when I just had incredibly spiritually oppressed, really bad mood from the moment that I woke up. And I just couldn't figure it out until, um, until, uh, somebody, it was my, it was my fiance sent me Ephesians six and just no, and I just read it and I got totally fired up about it. And I went into another room and I just prayed it off and it felt so oppressive. It, it must've been a demon. I guess it could have been something else, but it certainly went away after. And what's interesting about that particular thing is that I prayed uh, that morning. And that was actually what, you know, funny enough that we're talking about it now. That's actually when I started to really decide to start praying every morning, uh, to spend, you know, an hour in prayer or so every morning is right when that's, that really started hitting, hitting me. And, um, so anyway, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, cause I'd prayed, I was like praying for this stuff, you know, before, and, but it was still there. But then when I really, you know, prayed it off. And I, I mean, I was, you know, rebuking it. I was, you know, quoting scripture about, you know, the ultimate demise of all the, the beings in hell and, you know, re reading revelation 22 and stuff like that, or 21, or I guess 20, yeah, but, but you know, just reading them, their, their end, uh, just, I mean, I, I was just getting after it, you know, and I think that that's something that is a victorious thing that we can do. And they def definitely don't like it. So I think being, being changing the sort of attitude and being bold is a great thing to do for this. But as I mentioned, also the closing the doors is the other, the other part of that. If it's something else, if it's something that the doors are open because of something that needs to be repented for, stopped, whatever you need to do that as well, obviously. But the main thing is just know that sleep paralysis can happen to Christians and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but those doors, it is a good indicator that, um, some more sort of work needs to be done in, in the process of closing doors, repenting from old things, and forgiveness is possibly a factor of that as well. So let's go on to the next one. It says, I'm a new believer who has just been baptized recently and struggling with my walk, but I get so much anxiety because I hear the national ID, which I believe will be required to get within a couple of years, is the mark. I get quotes like these often, and he quotes, quotes some stuff here. Um, so what I would say is that... Um, the mark of the beast is everybody's got a theory about the mark of the beast and no, everybody has a theory about the end times, you know, I mean, there's so many different theories out there, but what's interesting is that every theory has to ha has to do something with the mark. Like no good theory is complete without a take on the mark. And you've got people that say like the seventh day Adventists say it's going to church on Sunday is the mark. And you know, you've got, you know, lots of people say a lot of different things about it. So maybe I should talk about that here in a minute, I guess, as well. But let's just stick with this. The main thing is I wanted to say is that people have a lot of anxiety for this kind of thing. And I know that I as well have had anxiety about this too, the national ID card kind of stuff and whatever. I would say this. Of course, I would say avoid it at all costs. Expect, obviously, don't get a chip, uh, no matter what you do. But... And I don't think that a chip just outright would be the mark. 
because if they just gave you a chip, period, like here's this is what. Um, but hey, look, listen. I'm not saying don't get. I'm not saying to get a chip. Never get a chip. But um, without the corresponding uh, sort of having it correspond to worship with the image of the beast, I don't know how it can be the mark. You know, it doesn't. It it just doesn't become a mark for nothing. It, it's the mark of the beast because they are submitting their authority to uh, the image of the beast. And if you read about the mark, it's never mentioned without the context of the image of the beast that's been brought to life um, by the false prophet. So, I, you know, there's a lot more you got to fit into there besides, you know, finding something that adds up to 666. So, you know, my main thing is is that ID cards, while are very bad news, I don't think that ID cards and those kind of things, retina scans or blah, 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 National IDs with retina scans are still not the mark of the beast. Uh, that being said, they're not very good to get either. Uh, and there's just lots of really good practical reasons. But, you know, for me, I think that when it comes time to, I mean, I probably already have a national ID with my, uh, with my ID, but I know it's a baby step to getting to a global sort of uh, government thing. And I'm going to go along to get along as long as I can. But obviously there's a point where you got to say, no, I mean, I'm going to just tell you straight up. There is coming a day when we're going to have to say, no, I'm not going to do that because this is a baby step process. You know, it's the frog in the kettle approach as Rust Isdor always says. And it doesn't always talk about it in this context, but that's certainly the way it is going. So, I wouldn't worry about that too much. I'll, I'll guess I'll hit the Seventh Day Adventist thing and the Sunday worship thing real quick too, which is um, that Sunday worship isn't the mark of the beast because it doesn't matter. First of all, the Sabbath is about work, and, it, and you never hear sa people, Sabbath people, you know, going around on Saturdays trying to stop Christians from going to work. Most Christians don't work on Saturdays. You know, most people are off work on Saturday, but they never hear anybody talking about that. I mean, it's always about they're going to hell because they're worshiping on the wrong day. And that doesn't make any biblical sense. I mean, it doesn't matter if I got up at the crack of dawn on Sunday and worshiped God till the till midnight. I'm not going to hell for that. I am not going to hell for worshiping God, period. No matter what day. No matter if I go and join somebody in a building on a particular day, there is no law against that. The Jewish people didn't meet on a particular day. They met in the temple uh, all the time. And it wasn't just on the Sabbath. It wasn't, uh, it was, the Sabbath was about work. Therefore, to say that people that are going to church on Sunday are the mark of the beast or whatever should be an indicator to you that there is something horribly wrong with that, with that whole thing. I would say that, of course, the Seventh-day Adventist thing uh, has a lot of things. I believe that Ellen G. White is a false prophetess. And um, I believe that history came about because of uh, false prophecies by William Miller. And But I'll say this about the Seventh-day Adventists. I honestly believe that a lot of the uh, SDA folks are very, very sincere and converted individuals. Uh, I know that you know a lot of people out there that are like that, too. Very sincere people, very... Uh, you know, I, I feel with the Seventh-day Adventists, although they are ensnared in a cult, uh, they are oftentimes 
converted and, and do have the Holy Spirit, um, but they're just sort of in bondage. They, they're not, I mean, the nature of that system, they're definitely, to say they're unsure of their sal salvation is, is very, you know, that's kind of the thing. They're kind of in bondage of fear type thing. There's lots of different reasons why I could go into the history and stuff like that, but that's neither the time nor place for all that stuff. But I would suggest that uh, it's worthy to look into if you haven't already. All right, so moving on to news stuff. Now, I didn't really do a whole lot of news um, stuff this week because I just am not that great at, at digging up news. But I will hit this news story, and then I'm going to play a about a 10-minute clip from Persecution.net. So here is uh, something. The big crash America plunge, plunges into depression. It's the worst of times. America's plunging back into depression. Only one out of every two Americans of working age has a job. 40 years ago, that would have been okay. Dad went to the factory. Mom stayed at home to mind the kids. These days, just to keep the show on the road, Mom and Pop both work and the kids go to daycare. Start looking for work now. On average, it will take uh, till next April for you to find something across the last two months. Uh, more than... Um, wait. Across the last two months, more than a million Americans simply gave up seeking employment. The benefits are running out. Ironically, if you quit looking for work, you count as officially discouraged and don't figure into the official unemployment stats, which is the only reason that the number has shot, has shot up to record heights. Somewhere near 10... Uh, hasn't shot up to record heights. Somewhere near 10 million Americans without work aren't getting any kind of check. One in every five children is living below the po poverty line, sometimes as much as 50% uh, classed as extreme poverty across America. And this article goes on, but basically it just means times are tough. So I would say that, uh, you know, if you're, my, my advice to you would be to um, start looking at this also like a good thing. And I know it's really hard to, especially if you're out of work right now. And, and this is in a lot of ways going to be the only way for many of the people to come to a place where they can be saved. It doesn't matter sometimes if people are incredibly, you know, if, if, if the Lord has to bring somebody down to a level to where they can finally need and accept him and save their life, save their soul, then that's a worthy price to pay for. And unfortunately, because of the nature of this country and probably a lot of countries around the world, we have our insurance and our bank accounts and our trust funds and our 401ks and our all these things are taking the place of God in a real sense. You know, I mean, we are looking to something else for our security, looking to something else for our uh, stability and assurance and, and insurance and security. You know, this is the problem with it is that that for the first time in a long time, um, many people are are not looking to God or not requiring God. So the best thing that could happen for those people is to have them ha have that taken away. That's the b most loving act that can happen to you know people like that. You know people right now that you're like, there's no way that person would ever. Uh, come to Christ. They're antagonistic against uh, Christ. They're extremely wealthy. That's because they don't feel uh, any need for him. And they feel like it threatens, in a lot of ways, the life that they want to live with 
the money. And so I think that I think that this is going to be a great thing. And for us that you know might not have any money to really begin with, and but still need security, still have uh, you know family to take care of, and and all these kinds of things. Then I would say to that, it's like don't worry. I I I don't feel like that this is something that we should be scared of. We should be um, prudent. You know, we should be uh, taking normal precautions. We should be, you know, making sure we have, uh, you know, weeks, two weeks worth of emergency food that we don't touch, you know. Uh, so if the, you know, trucks don't run, we don't have to go to light camps or something like that. But we got to also realize that our God is a real God, you know, that in case of emergency, we should, the glass should already be broken, you know. We should be living off God and recognizing that his provisions are true and that his words are true long before we have to. We're the ones that are supposed to be helping everybody else when all this stuff goes down. The world out there is totally lost. And when all this stuff goes down, you need to be uh, the one that's not lost. You need to be the confident one that knows that what you believe is true and that the Lord provides. Because the one guy that believes the Lord provides is the one that's going to provide for everybody else, you know, and that's really going to help people. And that that provision at that time is going to change all kinds of lives. If a lot of hungry people, you know, see miracles done uh, because people finally for the first time trust the Lord again. Uh, you remember, you know, when the Lord would say, you know, not not many miracles could be done in this place because the people didn't believe. I mean, you wonder why we don't see miracles in, in America that much. I mean, the answer is pretty obvious, but, uh, but I think that we will again, and it'll be because of people like you, because, um, you know, you're, you're, you're reading the word, you're understanding that it is true. You're seeing it in your life. Um, and you're being called to go deeper and deeper into it. And I say, go, go deeper into it. Rely on the Lord more. Uh, lean on him uh, for your physical needs. You know, the second part of the Lord's prayer is give me this day my daily bread. You know, he wants you to pray for the stuff that you need, your daily bread, like before you even get into any of the other stuff. You know, it goes like, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, give us a day your daily bread. So you're just doing the basic praise God thing. Praise God. You you are the man. Uh, you you've done so much stuff for my life. Whatever you want to be done, your will be done in my life. Your will be done in in the in different ministries and stuff like that. And then next comes you. Next comes you. What you want to be done. Your daily bread. You know all the stuff that you need. Uh, and I would I that part of the prayer i just i have a big list now of all the things that i personally need for my spiritual development for my physical needs all the kinds of things that are on my heart you know uh, and i just dwell on them for a while and ask the lord about them and uh, then move on from there and do all the do all the other uh, sort of factors so that's that's a uh, at least just one minor element of uh the ways that we do that but i think all of you sort of might have your own understanding of which road to take on that in that regard Okay, so I'm going to play this uh, clip from Persecution.net. Welcome to the Persecution Report. I'm Greg Musselman. Coming up, dozens of Christian students are injured in Iraq. Also, the killing of Christians continues in Nigeria's Plateau State. Later, 
The amazing story of Yun Laos. This former Muslim in Indonesia came to faith in Christ following an accident that nearly took his life and has paid a huge price for his conversion. I was then unconscious, and during that time, I believe two angels came to me and took me to heaven. All the stories and more are ahead on the Persecution Report. At least 50 Iraqi Christian students received hospital treatment following a bomb attack outside the city of Mosul that killed at least one person and forced nearly 1,000 students to drop classes for the rest of the semester. Nearly 160 people were injured in the blast that targeted three buses full of Christians traveling to classes at the University of Mosul. A convoy of buses, which brings Christian students from villages east of Mosul to the university, was making its daily route accompanied by two army cars. A roadside bomb followed by a car bomb reportedly exploded in the area of Kogjali as the buses were clearing a checkpoint staffed by U.S., Iraqi and Iraqi Kurdish soldiers. Seven people were killed by Muslim youths in Jos, Nigeria, including 36-year-old Nathan Debak, an assistant editor, and 39-year-old Sunday Gaing Buede, a reporter. The two were on their way to interview a local politician when they were attacked by youths who stabbed them to death. Both men were journalists for The Lightbearer, a newspaper published by the Church of Christ in Nigeria. An unidentified motorcyclist was also killed in the attack. Four other Christians were murdered on the same day in Dutse Uku district following the discovery of the body of a teenage Muslim who had gone missing. Three believers who were stabbed to death were killed when hundreds of Muslim youths rampaged throughout the area in protest. In March, over 500 people, many of them Christians, were massacred in three villages near Jos. Three Islamic al-Shabaab rebels killed a Christian man in front of his home in Afgoy, Somalia. The men shot Mu'awiyah Hilole Ali at close range, hitting him in the head and chest and killing him instantly. Islamists had previously accused Mu'awiyah and his family of spreading fitna, an Arabic word for religious discord. Trained in the former Soviet Union, Mu'awiyah had served in the Somali Armed Forces. He converted to Christianity in 2006 and was survived by his wife and 10 children. In response to the tragedy, a Somali leader in Mogadishu said his Mu'awiyah's martyrdom will only strengthen the church in Somalia and that such violence will never succeed in stopping the church-planting movement we see in Somalia today. Another evangelical Christian has died in Eritrea. 28-year-old Sunait Ukbazgi Hapta passed away in the Sawa Military Training Center after suffering severe abuse and being denied medical treatment for malaria and severe anemia. Sunait was arrested in 2008 along with 15 other university students for attending a Bible study group. She and the other students were imprisoned in large metal shipping containers where they suffered suffocating heat during the day and freezing temperatures at night. Saw officials reportedly offered Sunait her freedom and medical attention if she recant her Christian belief. She refused. Camp officials eventually relented and allowed her to be moved to the prison's medical center. However, she died shortly after transfer due to prolonged illnesses. The most populous Islamic nation in the world is experiencing a remarkable growth of Christianity. That's according to Time magazine. Indonesia has some 200 million Muslims. However, Christianity is Indonesia's second largest faith and has been increasing drastically in recent years despite outpourings of violence. Often it's where the church is growing and where believers are actively spreading the gospel where the persecution is taking place against the followers of Jesus. In our next report, we'll meet a former Indonesian Muslim who knows what happens when you come to Christ and actively share the gospel.
Yunleos Gaib loves Jesus Christ and has paid a price for that devotion. However, there was a time when he wanted nothing to do with Christianity. Yunleos was content in being a Muslim and was annoyed with his Christian employer who would share the gospel with him at his car repair shop in Palo City on the island of Sulawesi. When my boss kept telling me about Jesus, I got more angry because in the Quran, the Islam way, Jesus is only a prophet, not the Lord, not God. In anger, I said to him, if Jesus is the Lord, call him to me so I could see him. Later that year in 1999, on the last day of Ramadan, a Muslim holiday, Yun Laos went from the mosque back to the workshop to repair a van. He thought the job would be simple and quick so he didn't take proper safety measures. I didn't realize the driver of the van was leaning up against it, and the van started to move and it came down on me. Yunleo says it happened so quickly he was unable to get out from under the falling vehicle, and his leg got stuck on the jack. I was then unconscious, and during that time I believe two angels came to me and took me to heaven. In a room I saw a group of people singing and praising the Lord, but on the left, there were many people who were crying out and asking about the place after death. The angel said, I must kneel down. Yunlea says he believes he was on the left side and was only concerned about himself and not about what happens after death. It was then he believes Jesus spoke to him. It's not your time to die, but follow me because I am the way. I am Jesus. Follow me, and I will take you from the darkness to the amazing light by my spirit, and I will send you back to your body. Yunleos's co-workers managed to pull him from under the van and took him to the hospital, where an x-ray revealed his left ribs and chest had been crushed. The doctor said there was a strong possibility Yunleos wouldn't survive, and he was moved to the morgue. Yun Leao says he woke up from his coma in the mortuary, surrounded by some believers, including his boss. The doctors then took three x-rays and were amazed that there was no damage to his ribs or his chest. One doctor stated, it is because of the Lord. After I left the hospital, I felt different in my life. I felt no damage to my body. I felt healthy. Since then, I realized that Jesus was real and true. My boss gave me a Bible and I started to read it. I also read Christian books, but I wasn't a true Christian yet. Yunleos was beaten by Muslims after he was seen going to church. He struck one of the Muslims with a stick and was arrested and jailed. A couple weeks later, Yunleos committed his life to Christ and was baptized. He then began openly discussing his new faith with Muslims, which led to him being labeled as an apostate and making him a target for violence. I went back home to my village about two hours from Palu City. My family knew I had become a Christian from one of my relatives, and they called me an apostate. Some of the people in my village, the Muslims, said I was an apostate and deceiver and said I must die. One day, I was ministering in my wife's church. It was in the evening, and I was praying. On the way home, I was walking with another man from the church, and there was a group of people waiting for me. The person with me ran away because he knew these people were waiting for me. That group of people made a big circle around me. I was in the center. They hit me. They kicked me. They threw rocks at my head. I was like a doll. 
The attack was so intense. There were so many punches, so many kicks to my body. But then, I didn't feel anything from the wounds and injuries on my body. Yun Leos has been threatened with death, beaten, kicked out of his home, and disowned by his family because of his decision to follow Jesus. I want to pay a price to minister to Christ. Yun Leos and his wife Suwicha are in training at an underground Bible discipleship school in West Java. They are fully aware that their ministry could take them into an area hostile to the gospel. We must live for the Lord, even in danger. We must serve the Lord because He has already paid the price. I made a commitment when I became a Christian, so it's not a big deal for me to go anywhere, even if it's a dangerous place or a dangerous area. He has paid a price for ministering for Jesus. But I said, what about me? I'm from a Christian family. Why can't I do for Jesus like others, like my husband, who's from a Muslim background? Suwicha met Yun Leos after hearing him share his testimony in her church. While well, she was inspired and challenged by what he shared and how the Lord worked so powerfully in his life, other Christians weren't so welcoming. The Christians in our church rejected him because they couldn't accept a Muslim becoming a Christian, and they avoided him. But I was strengthened by Yun Leos's testimony. This young couple have counted the cost and are prepared to go wherever the Lord directs them, regardless of what dangers may lie ahead. What an amazing story of how God is drawing people to himself, like Yun Leos, very inspiring and Continue to pray for Indonesia and all that the Lord is doing there. Well, persecution is also on the rise in several Mexican states, and you'll learn why evangelicals are facing opposition by ordering the newly released DVD, Mexican Voices, Testimonies of the Persecuted, from the Voice of the Martyrs. You can go to our website at persecution.net or call our office at 905-670-9721. Remember to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Remember, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. Goodbye and God bless. For more information on the ministry of the Voice of the Martyrs and ways in which you can help the persecuted church, please visit our website at persecution.net. That's persecution.net. Okay, everyone, remember you can pray for me about all the different stuff, especially the while well, I'm learning about the Catholic stuff. And I really appreciate your prayers in that regard. Also remember, you can put your testimony on the website now. You can just look for the recent post about testimonies and comment on it there. And also remember, if you want to record your testimonies, that certainly would be great as well. So the, the books that I mentioned, again, were Love and Respect. They were uh, the five love languages. And they were Money... Possessions and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. All right, everybody, thanks for your time. Talk to you later. Bye.